When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the CHGO White Sox Podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Download the app today and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. Welcome into the uh, CHGO studios. Uh, this is Studio A in the West Loop office of downtown Chicago. I'm Sean Anderson, the host of the CHGO White Sox Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And we have Vinny Duber back from Australia alongside. Still. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. Herb Lawrence is still out for the week, but he's still texting me as Monty Grandal stats, and he's still promoting our show. So He should, he should, uh, he should take a break, obviously, <laughs> but... I think prerequisite for Herb, if he's going to text you about Yaz when uh, when yeah. he's not actually sitting in this chair, he needs to first be able to beat Yaz in a race, which he has not done yet. So <laughs> I think there's a there hotline for Herb to call. Uh, <laughs> sitting in Herb's chair today, uh, the man in the middle is Mike Rankin, the editor-in-chief of Future Sox, also the podcast host of the Future Sox podcast, and he is the associate producer? Yeah. That producer works. of the Bernstein and Home Show yeah. on 670 Score. Thanks, guys. Hey. A man of, uh, a, man of a long resume. Yes, yeah. a lot of jobs, yeah. a lot of different hats. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I wear several hats on this show. Mike also wears several j- hats, but in his career. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is, uh, this is cool. Uh, Sean and I met back in college, St. Xavier. Uh, that's mm-hmm. when we started. I thought you were a senior when I met you, yep. but you were a freshman. We did a lot of stuff on the college radio station, so it's kind of cool to be here talking to you guys. Right did now. you guys? Did you guys meet Colleen while you were there? Oh, I, we knew, I knew Colleen. Uh, did Mike, you really? Mike was a little bit. I think she. Mike graduated and then she came in. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah. yeah, like gotcha. I, I knew of her because she was also famous and in Oklahoma as well. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hey, shout out. You speak of SXU, our guy Ernesto, hey, uh, Ernesto. Uh, of the Xavierite, is, uh, who works doing, now man? at uh, NBC Sports Chicago, uh, is, is in the chat. So what's up, Ernesto? Uh, but yeah, Mike and I, we, we took trips to Sioux City, Iowa. That was awesome. With our guy, Phil Bridges. That was awesome. Um, called a national championship game. In what sport? Uh, women's basketball, NAIA Division Two. Okay, so. At the Tyson Event yes. Center. That's right. Named after the chicken company? And named after the chicken wow, company. Wow, all right. Right. 15,000 <laughs> it held. It was massive. And uh, we said courtside. It was fun. Um, but yeah, uh, Mike, you can follow him on Twitter at Rankin906. Uh, you were commenting on his Twitter handle earlier, and I always find it funny that James Fox, who also works at Future Sox, uh, he's James Fox 917 um, So you both have three random numbers at the end of your handles. Yeah, talking about something completely irrelevant, I had Rankin906 as my Xbox Live gamer tag nice. when mm. I was in fifth grade, mm. and it stuck. So that's where we're at. I'm 28 now. <laughs> So there you go. There you we, go. Still Xboxing it up, I mean, probably. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I just love to, uh, on your Twitter profile, uh, your Evan Marshall jersey. Autographed. So, uh, signed. A signed Evan Marshall jersey. So if Chuck's ever walking around on the concourse and you see somebody in an Evan Marshall jersey, it's Mike Rankin. You gotta give it's, it a, a, it's a road jersey, you, too. you got to give it a few years because, you know, before it vaults into – because, you know, he was on the team two years ago. you got to give it, give it a couple of years before you are uh, fodder for Chuck to find on the concourse, <laughs> you know, before you get into Donnie Lucy territory. You know, funny story real quick, Vinny, is uh, Chuck took a picture 
of me and my buddy because I had Marshall and he had James Shields. So it was Marshall Shields, and he had a little bit about it. Yeah, whatever. But Chuck Arfine took my Twitter pick, so that's what I'm talking about. He's already been. He'll he'll be here tomorrow. He's sitting. He's gonna. He's not gonna remember. He's gonna sit in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Four times. That's cool. That's all good. (laughs) He's already in the hall of Donnie Lucy. Um, But we got some uh, icebreaker questions since your car crapped out on you. Uh, You already know how cold it is. Um, Yeah. How about that one? What new car did you get? 2019 Nissan Rogue. I tell you what, 16,000 miles can't beat it. Nice. I was surprised that that was available. Because the thing is, like Christmas Day. Here's the thing: I drive into the city, work at 670 of the score, so I drive in to get to the studios. And for whatever reason, my car decided to stop working on Christmas Day when I was driving to my father's house. So you're telling me, how does that happen? When I drive there five days a week, and the time that my car decides to crap out is on the way to my father's. And I was able to take care of it. I had two days off afterward, got the new car, so we're all good. Yeah. The Rogue. I always Christmas get the Rogue miracle. on the road. When it, like spring train, I think I've had a Nissan Rogue at oh. spring training like two or three times. I, it's a great car. My grandpa has one, very roomy. <laughs> right? It's kind of an SUV. I've had it for three kind days. Of, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Love I'm, pr- it. I'm very happy for you. Uh, I, I, uh, my car didn't crap out on me. I wrecked it, um, <laughs> which is great. Um, but I got that insurance money, and uh, I had a 2010 gray Corolla. And I ended up getting a 2010 gray Corolla okay. for the exact same price. So what was uh, that time when we were driving home with the, um, from Indiana? I believe it was. It was Marion, St. Francis. St. Francis. Yeah. Drove on the wrong side of the highway, <laughs> pulling out. So. Do you think I, you were in Australia? What's going on? I, I guess. Um, I, I guess I was back from Australia. Uh, we thought St. Xavier had this great chance, their football team going up against St. Francis, who was interdivisional, both top-ranked. Uh, they got murdered. The All Saints Bowl. Uh, the All Saints Bowl. Um, it wasn't close. Th- there's two St. Francis's, two. two. There was, this was the one in Indiana, not the one in Joliet. Uh, right, yes. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, we were pulling out of the football stadium dead at night. It's in Indiana with no lights, right. like, on the streets, and I just made a left turn. I thought I was making the right Left turn to get on the right side of the road uh, ends up. I was just going into oncoming traffic. Oncoming traffic, and, and then I just I think I went over the grass yeah, median. Yeah, I well, went over the grass median, and then we were safe. We're so, here. Don't worry, mom. Uh, Mercy. I I, I, I learned from my mistake. Uh, and what's up, everybody in the chat? Uh, shout out to Alex, uh, who's your daddy, our, our diehard. Uh, we got some icebreaker questions from Mike. Uh, first off, why don't you tell us about Future Socks? Um, you guys recently merged with. Socks Machine as well. Um, so what's that been like? You guys are putting out podcasts every Tuesday. Yeah, appreciate that. Uh, Socks Machine is obviously one of the more credible sites on the on the web covering White Sox, CSGO, of course, among them too. You know, whatever, no big deal. But Socks Machine has been around. Jim Margulis has been around for a long time. Those familiar with the name know who Jim is, and Josh Nelson works really hard, so they invited us to join. Uh, and it's been great. The relationship is awesome. We focus on organizational stuff, front office prospects, and we dabble a little bit onto the um, the major league side of things. But really, it's just a result of how we cover the organization as a whole. So uh, we're going to get into this uh, soon, I'm sure. But some of the prospects that will debut in 2023, those who plan to be a part of, you know, hopefully a World Series contender in the White Sox, stuff like that, we get into it. But yeah, Future Sox uh, podcast releases every Tuesday. And we typically have, you know, a guest or two come in. The last episode we published included Bill Mitchell, Baseball America. Definitely recommend the prospect hounds to check that out. Bill Mitchell is one of the more credible reporters out there, and he's covering the White Sox farm system this year for us. So it's been a great relationship, and I appreciate you guys uh, plugging that. Yeah, of course, uh, and a lot of great interviews. Um, I, there was the one, uh, who's the guy from Cuba, Phil? 
Yeah, Phil Seelig, yeah. right? Uh, Phil, Phil Seelig brought some great uh, Jose Abreu stories, too. Um, obviously, no longer we can talk about Jose Abreu because he's in Houston. We are, uh, we're allowed to, I think. I guess. Yeah, I just don't I, think the opportunities will probably be fewer and further between. Right. I mean, I just, you know, less reasons to bring him up. So, uh, you know, you can't talk about him. You never wanted to day. talk about him to begin with because you're a hater. That's not true. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, the writing was on the wall. thought wow. he was going to retire, wow. though. What? Wow, the writing was on the wall. Was it not? When you had that weird interview with him, spring training, yeah. was that not weird? It was weird, yeah. Right. I remember it being weird. Did it not set the tone for the weird year? It Well, seemed like you're the saying it was Jose's was fault that they were uh, 81 and 81? No, uh, <laughs> no. But it just it just seemed like the vibes were off from the get-go. Like, that's the first big story coming out of spring training was, yeah, Jose doesn't seem too happy. Hmm. It didn't I, seem like, I don't I can't know. imagine a lot of players were happy. Playing for that White Sox team last year, just saying. I mean, not n- certainly not by the time the season was several months underway. Yeah. Absolutely, but, uh, but in spring, you know, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. During the multi seven plus game losing streaks, uh, we've talked though yesterday to James Fegan. I know you have a, a little bit lengthier of a baseball career than James Fegan. You had some college uh, playing times uh, in your days, uh, but we asked James uh, what was the stance he imitated most. So, I mean, in your playing career, maybe even your your younger days, if you had some, uh, you know. What stance were you imitating? It's more of a wiffle ball question. Man, really. that is ball. a great question. I, mean, <laughs> I used to imitate, you know, in the pony leagues, though, Joe yeah. Creedy's stance. You know, I used to bust it out. I picked up a few things. Uh, Gary Sheffield was always so fun to do when we were playing wiffle ball. It's like the go-to answer. But I think I just had a very generic batting stance, and it was just bend the knees, elbow up, swing. And that was it. Uh, but I did develop a little bit of power. That's because, like, when I was watching Alfonso Soriano take his big leg kick, and it was all timing. So I kind of adopted that, and then I got to tell you, uh, I, I I like confused myself. This is crazy that you bring. I haven't thought about this since it happened. But when I mimicked Soriano's stance, I was having success for a week because I was doing the leg kick and I was under control. And then I took a two day. Two, I was off for two days. Came back and I was like, oh, I got to mimic Soriano. So I spread my legs as far as they can go in the batter's box, and I was seeing no power. I was hitting the ball like right into the ground. And I was like, what is going on? What am I doing? And it was just like, I, I guess my subconscious took over, changed my stance, and made myself worse. So ultimately ended up at St. Xavier. Um, but that was following uh, three years at the NAIA and uh, JUCO level uh, at Trinity Christian and Moraine Valley. So it was fun. Uh, learning, honestly, learning at the college level was super insightful to know what I'm talking about now to help me understand what's going on at the plate and understanding what these players are going through. I was on a minimal scale, but you know, humans, man, they have emotions and things go into their day-to-day performance and what they deal with. And, you know, last year, and this is onto the White Sox, Yasmani Grandal was dealing with a bulging disc in his back that impacted his season so dramatically that like, he couldn't move, and he definitely couldn't catch. So people were wondering where the power went, and he still was able to get on base because of how elite of a plate approach that he has as a hitter. So that's just one example of some of the things that kind of gets, like, slid under the rug when you're trying to figure out and evaluate why a player is failing or struggling. I just think it's all fascinating when you get into the philosophies of everything. And uh, being a player myself, it definitely helps add that perspective. Sounding like Tony LaRusso over here with his famous favorite, one of his many favorite uh, sayings was, uh, they're men, not machines. He right. liked that one a I lot. Think, yeah. Look, Tony had a lot to offer, and he was, he, he's a great baseball mind. It's just unfortunate to me from the outside looking in that Tony 
allowed the players to police themselves in the clubhouse, and he wasn't necessarily somebody who was strong in the way that he voiced or a way that he tried to instill chemistry, I guess. It was, it was hard for me to follow that team knowing that, you know, what is Tony La Russa doing to galvanize the club? What exactly is his message in the clubhouse to the players that will allow them to believe in him or to help believe in what's going on on the south side? Because it just seemed like the players didn't want to get up and play. So hopefully now with Pedro Grafol and all the coaching changes, we'll see something different because too much talent on this team to see them finish at 500. Well, I think it was mostly a situation of, because he's talked so much when he, when he first got here about how great of a job Ricky Renneria at all had done in establishing, you know, that personality. I mean, hey, that 2020 season, they were, they were fun to watch when they were standing in the dugout, mm-hmm. you know, they were, whether, whether or not anything was going on in the field, they had that chemistry. They had that uh, mentality that you're always looking for. And they had it a little bit into Tony's tenure. And I think maybe, you know, he never took it off cruise control, because he didn't want to wreck it, and it kind of, you know, even when it steered off the road a little bit, there was he, there nobody was able to kind of bring it back together. Right, and I mean, you even bring up like the message, and we heard Miguel Cairo like say it was the same message, just a different voice. So you know, maybe even at the end of the day, it just it, it his, you know, I mean, I, I started paying a little bit more attention to uh, English Premier League uh, now with the World Cup gone. I still have a soccer itch, Vinny. Uh, I don't Do know really? what's wrong. Wow. Yeah, I, I I can't. Who are you watching? What's your start team? Working. Uh, I just been watching all of them uh, oh, okay. since since they started on Boxing Day. I uh, woke up the twenty sixth at like seven a.m. because my cat was waking me up, uh, and then I couldn't go back to bed. So why not start my day with soccer? Wow! Uh, but it's been nice. But I, I've I've been noticing, or apparently, like managers. <laughs> I will watch Arsenal, but are they managers? What are they? Okay, they they don't last very long, right? They're about th- three years, and then they most of them usually get the they usually get sacked. <laughs> so like, I mean, it just seemed like you know. His time was up. Like it just, Thanks, it just seemed like that that, <laughs> that, uh, that 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 line of co- uh, communication just dried up a bit. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, interesting to see what Grafal will do. Uh, did you guys see that Craig Calcaterra ranked him as the tenth most handsome manager? So you know, mm. top ten, baby. We'll take Hell that. Yeah. We'll huh. take we'll take top ten, anyways. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more about your uh, baseball uh, career, just a little bit. Um, you've worked in independent baseball. You worked for the Windy City Thunderbolts, um, and then you are also out in the uh, California Winter League. Um, and that was really funny because Mike, I knew him for about a semester. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to California. Bye. And then I just didn't talk to Mike for about like six months. Um, so what was that like going out to the California Winter League? Super. Oh, man, it was so worthwhile being out there because uh, I, I had room to just kind of do whatever I wanted to do broadcasting. But also, I just wanted to kind of be a journalist. Those to you know, talk to people, learn the game, talk to scouts, players. I got so lucky. Because these are, it's a pay-to-play league over in uh, Palm Springs, California. <sighs> so beautiful. I got, I got so lucky. Anyway, so I was out there, and I, I'm looking over the roster, recognized some of the names from the independent days, but then I came across Tyler Matzik. I'm like, wait a second. I mean, Tyler Matzik mm-hmm. is the same Tyler Matzik? <laughs> he walks in, and I'm like, yeah, it's Tyler Matzik. Former first-round pick, 11th 20, round. 2016, 2017, he was a starter for the Rockies and was among their – most consistent starters, and then he fell off a cliff, not literally, but it was because of you know a multitude of things, and I thought it was so interesting following his career path, if we can get into that quickly, because uh, I talked to him, he had dealt with a lot of anxiety, and he was open and forth, he was on the forefront of this too, uh, when it was happening, like he was sharing this publicly, but then he was telling me the stories, and it was just, for whatever reason, he couldn't get his mechanics consistent, he couldn't throw strikes anymore, 
And this was after, like I said, he had, what, 160 innings in 2016, 2017, something like that. I mean, he accumulated a... Uh, 2014, 2015, 117 and two-thirds, and then 2015, 22 innings pitched. So I was off Um, on the years. But 2016, mm -hmm. 2017 is when the issues started popping up, and you know he was let go from the Rockies, and then the White Sox actually took a flyer on him and then let him go. Anyway, when he was in the California Winter League, this was 2019, and he was looking to get his stuff back right. It was signed by the Mariners. Out of, it was invited to spring training, got cut, and then ultimately landed with the Braves and resurrected his career with Atlanta. And we saw his performance mm-hmm. in the World Series. But what Matzik, what he was doing in the California Winter League was trying to get his fastball command down, and he just couldn't throw strikes. And this is a pay-to-play league, so guys like playing Division Three or what, I, what have you were dominating uh, Tyler Matzik. So you talk about the value of independent baseball. I think it's so fascinating. Max Scherzer had like a cup of coffee there and Rich Hill, who's still pitching. Mm-hmm. Just got, got $8 million. Got his Go Pirates, Vince Velasquez. Uh, there was a, <laughs> he resurrected his career as well. I mean, it was like he found himself, figured it out. But the Tyler Matzik story is one of inspiration because it looked like his career was over. Got to the California Winter League, figured out, you know, where he could you know, benefit himself mentally, and he's a World Series champion, so I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and uh, Matzik, uh, since joining the Braves in 2020, uh, a 149 ERA plus uh, coming out of the bullpen and a, a World Series champion, too. Um, so, yeah, very interesting, uh, just important, uh, even when just you're... baseball, man. Right? Uh, well, and, uh, I mean, even Noah Schultz, who we'll talk about. I mean, he was pitching an independent ball uh, before he uh, jumped into the MLB draft, uh, and we'll talk about him a little bit. Uh, now top three prospect, uh, according to MLB.com, uh, in the White Sox system. Uh, is that true from Jack Vetker? Uh, was that what you were checking your text for? Is Adam Engel now a Cub? Nothing that I see yet, but oh, okay. that doesn't mean anything. All right, both. so yeah. uh, that's why I, that's why I try to slyly do it and not just read it on the show because we have no well, idea. Hey, well, I, I don't know. I'm just seeing if I can. They can all see <laughs> You're it. You're the one with the computer in, in front of you. Yeah. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I don't see anything. All right. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll take a break here and then we'll ask Mike about uh, the prospects coming up in the White Sox organization. But when you are going to be betting on college football this week. Fans, the tradition, the glory, there's nothing more thrilling than college football. It's bowl season, and the action is far from over. My go-to for betting is DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, I have money on UCF Duke. I think that game's over. Um, But I also like uh, the under in Ole Miss, Texas Tech tonight. And you can also uh, get a 33% live profit boost on betting the Texas Tech-Ole Miss game. So right now, when new customers place any $5 pregame Moneyline bet, on a college football team to win, they get $150 in free bets if they do. Plus, everyone can combine multiple bets for a bigger payout with DraftKings' same-game parlays. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code CHGO, and new customers can place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on a college football team to win and get $150 if your team does. That's code CHGO, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Um, and then we also got to let you know about pins and aces. Mike, do you golf? Yes. You like golfing? I like golfing. All right. I mean, can't golf right now. It's too cold. Well, it's supposed to be like 50 coming up. Uh, wouldn't the links be frozen? They call it the links, right? Wouldn't they be frozen? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's fine. All right. Uh, well, you should check out Pins and Aces. They're the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our Pins and Aces gear and get tons of compliments on and off the course when we are wearing them. They are a family-owned golf and apparel business, and they make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and even our favorite, Mike. You got to hear this. It's a very innovative product. Um, we've talked about not only its usage for golfing, 
but also train cars, possibly, um, concert going. It's a beer sleeve that holds up to seven beers. 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 Um, so if you are looking to keep your drinks cold the entire round, check out pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to get 15% off your first order. Uh, Mike, let's talk a little about the prospects uh, that you guys cover over at Future Sox. Um, I think Oscar Colas and Colson Montgomery are the two big ones, uh, and also uh, the Ingle News, fake news. Uh, so the two journalists with me uh, would probably not like me spreading, <laughs> yeah, spreading why, misinformation. Yeah, it's why you don't read it on the air until you see it online. I, I learned my I from learned, a credible source. Uh, uh, Jet, Jack Vetker, you're not credible. All right, no, he so, pumped you. He wins. Yeah. He got you. He yeah. won. Yeah, you're spreading misinformation, yeah. and then, you know it's it's just it's not good, guys. Come on. Uh, so, anyways, sorry to spread that. Uh, Adam Ingle is not a Cub yet. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Oscar Colas first. Engel um, obviously non-tendered, opening up a roster spot. Uh, what do you think about their plan to push him out opening day as their right fielder? Well, you talked to Fegan yesterday, and he mm-hmm. talked about uh, the way it included Romy Gonzalez. The, was it uh, Jose Castro is working with them three mm-hmm. days a week? Uh, well, yeah, I think it was Chris Johnson, Jose Castro, and Mike Tozar all live in Miami, along with Romy Gonzalez and Oscar Cola. So they've been able to work together yeah. about three days a week. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating. And the way that they approached this offseason was also interesting as well. You know, talk about their decision not to bring back Danny Mendick, as well as their decision, you mentioned Adam Engel. Uh, and they didn't really add outside of Andrew Benatendi. So, you know, Leary Garcia... Luis Robert and Benatendi, along with Aloy Jimenez, is you know your outfield projected plus Gavin Sheets, but that's you know that's not enough. But it also suggests that Oscar Colas has a lot of belief within the organization, and I think a guy with experience in the past playing in Japan um, for the Cuban national team, and also somebody who is demonstrating that he has a lot of tools that will translate to the bigs already. And he's an older guy, like an older prospect. And finally he got his first full season stateside. And to hear that one, the organization is interested in development and see a future for this player is one of the top international signings two years ago, as well as, you know, their dedication to working with him this off season. I'm curious how his spring goes, because I think Vinny, I don't know what your feel is. I think Oscar Colas makes the opening day roster. But if he doesn't, it's okay because they do have Gavin Sheets and the depth with Leary Garcia if necessary. But I believe they kind of structured their offseason plan knowing that Oscar Colas is going to be a part of this for at least 400 plate appearances this year. Yeah, I don't think – let's put it this way. I don't think they can lose from the standpoint of Colas and his readiness, right? They can take him to spring training and see, all right, is he ready to go? And if he has a great spring – he can be their starting right fielder, and if he has a mediocre to bad spring, he can go to AAA and get at bats at Charlotte. There's no um, there's no downside for uh, bringing Colas to spring training and putting those stakes on there for him because either way, you get to keep him and, and keep developing him. The question I have is, can they lose in terms of right field on the big league roster? Because if Colas does not go to the to, to the majors to start the season, does does Gavin Sheets work as your everyday right fielder uh, or a you know a platoon with him and Leury, let's say? Does that work as your everyday right field solution in a season when you're trying to win the World Series? And, you know, I say this about every position. I'm going to continue to say it about second base. 
Those guys could uh, they could could work out fine, but that's a tough bet to make with one of your positions on the field. They plugged a big hole with Andrew Benintendi in, in left. They don't have to worry about kind of piecing that together in left, but there's the possibility that they're still going to have to do it in right field, and right now it looks like they're still going to have to do it at second base. That's two of your nine everyday spots on the field. I, I would think you would want a bit more certainty there. Um, and, you know, if they are certain that Colas is going to be ready, that he is going to have a good spring and earn that everyday spot and, and do well, then more power to him. But I, I, I think that uh, you say that there's depth there. There's depth. I don't know if there's starting caliber right. depth for, for right field past the idea of Colas being good at the major league level. Yeah, and that's what, Sean, I mean, that's what the White Sox are dealing with right now. They put themselves in this situation, and I go back to 2019. They acquired Nomar Mazzara. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there's, there were so many positions of need that we're still dealing with here. Second base, right field. A lot of redundancies on the roster, guys who only play one position. That's starting to filter out a little bit more, but talking about the same thing, and I understand, like, I, I feel like, again, like, I'll go back to what I said about Oscar Colas. I think their decision this offseason to structure their payroll the way they did and certain players that they added that they believe Oscar Colas is the real deal and will be a major contributor for this uh, for this White Sox big league club. It's just he's had one full professional season, so you got to take a step back here in expectations. The skill set is there, though. They're really excited about his arm. He can definitely play right field. He's got pop, and we'll just see if he's overwhelmed by major league pitching that he'll see for the first time in his career. I got more... Colas thoughts, but since you bring up 2019, you bring up Nomar Mazzara. Um, I remember when that deal happened, I didn't tweet about it. I didn't tell Les Grobstein about it. Yeah. I was working the overnight show, and Mitch Rosen got mad at me uh, that I wasn't spreading the news about Nomar Mazzara. I got it right. That guy didn't do anything. Was it, it wasn't It wasn't huge news, all right? Nomar Mazzara didn't do anything. Well, he was their starting right fielder. They got a start. They went out and got a starting right fielder. <laughs> no, they didn't. Um, well, they got they Nomar Mazzara. they tried, certainly. Uh, but they, they tried. Sean, I was Nomar. there. They, I, rem- I was at the winter meetings. I remember this happening. Well, maybe this is the – maybe like, they tried with Nomar Mazzara. They tried with Adam Eaton. And then they got A.J. Pollock to play left field. And then they got Andrew Benatendi to play left field. So they just kind of stopped addressing it. Like, I think it's just – like. I think there has to be certainty with Colas because it's clearly the best option. Like, what are the negatives? Because I see some of the um, TrackMan data um, that Fangraphs has. Um, his max exit velocity would be second on the team behind Luis Robert, um, and his average uh, exit velocity is around Luis Roberts at 89. So, like, is the power already major league level, and is it just about making those adjustments to major league pitching for Colas? Because, you know, I, I've even read stats that he's not going to do well against lefties, but, you know, his numbers showed that he was able to make a lot of contact versus lefties. Yeah, it's interesting because the White Sox are suddenly left-handed heavy, you know, on their 26 man at the moment. So that's kind of interesting to see how Griffo wants to play that out. And if he does want to play Aloy in the left field at all, I know he said that he's willing to work him out there. But with Colas, are you taking the pressure off of him? And that's my point is just allow others fill the lineup and not – if that's the route that they're going to take and commit to Colas, I want him to play every day. But if he's overwhelmed, then you can understand why they would play Aloy there in left and then move – Benintendi to right. Oh, man, Benintendi in right field. That can't happen. So I'm, like, just going through this in my head. But the question that you asked, Sean, is how is he going to adjust to major league pitching? And at this point, like, the swing and miss, we don't know. MLB has a book on everyone, and -hmm. they pick up quick. So that's it for me because he's shown everything he's needed to show in AAA. He's had a, a success at every level. 
I mean, the power is really encouraging. I think that's something that White Sox fans should definitely be excited to see, how it translates to the big league club. Because when, it, when he makes contact, it's loud. Um, it makes a loud noise. But defensively is something that I think people are underrating in his game. He played center field mm-hmm. in the minors. So, you know, that tells you all you need to know about his range and his and f- ability to do that. From all reports, at least at an average level. It's fine. He can play center field at the AAA level, fine. I'm not going to say he's going to play center field in the big leagues. Um, I think there's a there's probably better options there, but strongest Luis Robert arm, comes to mind. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Outside of Luis, Luis Robert, Robert Jr. Yeah, so it's like outstanding arm can get by in right field for you without question. It's just can he adjust to major league pitching, and that's the only question left. Well, and the arm, I mean, the arm really is my least biggest question about him because he used to pitch over in Japan right. like I mean there was he used to throw 95 on the mound so I, I would hope he had a good arm uh, at least better than Andrew Vaughn uh, you know so uh, it's I think it's exciting hopefully the pitch selection is there um, I, I'm not afraid of, of letting him swim uh, Colson's got a little bit of time uh, you know he started touching uh, deeper waters in Birmingham a little bit later uh, I first want to ask you about Project Birmingham uh, when they announced this project and they were going to put Colas and uh, Montgomery and all of their stars in one spot Covering the Sox, what did you make of this move from an organizational standpoint? I thought it was ambitious, and I also thought it was opportunistic because a lot of the players that were sent to Project Birmingham were around the same level of development, and they were like, you know, around the same age. They're younger. They're playing up to their competition. Um, for example, Christian Mayne, I believe, was pitching against players who were four years his superior, so that was really interesting. But it's the organization's way of challenging who they believe are their future. And also, like, hey, this is what you can anticipate moving forward because we're going to be aggressive with you. We believe in your skill sets, so we want you to have a taste. A lot of low-pressure situations. They didn't have to play every day because it was in September. The roster was loaded. So that was – it was just an experiment, right, a project. Well, it's – I don't think there was a lot of negatives that came with it. Outside, like, if you look at the stats, it's awful. Almost outside of Luis Mieses, everybody struggled. But – Guys like Christian Mana held their own. We'll love to talk about Christian Mana at some point mm-hmm. in this podcast, but there are examples of players who just got there, saw what the competition was like, and said, okay, next. So we'll see you know, who we can you know, anticipate getting there in 2023 and who's going to start there I think is more important. Uh, but it was, just, it was just say, hey, can you guys handle this? Well, when, when Chris Getz first told us about it, the, the thing that he said was, don't look at the numbers. Don't yeah. worry about the numbers because yeah. they're not important. And I think, uh, you know, it's it's funny. We When we hear of a prospect doing well or we hear, let's say, they acquire somebody in a trade or something like that, our first thought, go to baseball reference. What have they done? What's their numbers? Teams aren't necessarily looking at that. Yeah, they want them to be doing well rather than doing poorly, of course. But um, remember, this is player development, and, and it's about getting guys' skill set ready for the major leagues far more so than it is, all right, you've hit – 300 at AA, you're going to AAA. You've hit 300 at AAA, you're going to the majors. It's far more about what they see from a from a physical standpoint, um, and in and and obviously there are numbers that go along in that. But there, are, you know, all the uh, alphabet soup numbers that you always talk about, Sean, <laughs> are far more important than the stuff that you'd look at from a what did he do in his in his plate appearance against pitcher X kind of thing. So, right. um, if it's about player development send all your player development resources to one spot and coach these guys up every day rather than for little stretches at a time throughout the season. It, it, it makes a lot of sense, and it, you almost wonder, is, that, is, there a, is there a future where, you know, 
that that kind of thing is more common throughout baseball and and maybe the minor league system in general bends to to facilitate that in an easier way right well i be very interesting if the white Sox are trendsetters if they do this again or if other organizations end up doing this um but just to go into the numbers part like you bring up christian mena and i think he's a great example just because the age difference for him at that level was uh, about five and a half years, um, which is crazy. And you look at the numbers, and I think people would see like a 630 ERA as eye-popping. But what I really care about is 13 strikeouts and 10 innings and only one walk. And that's the thing is like the, the, the stats don't matter. I don't care how many earned runs he gave up, but he was challenging guys. He wasn't letting guys on base with free passes. And that's a major league talent. I mean, we even see Dylan Cease, the White Sox. Happy birthday, by the way, Dylan Cease. Uh, we see Dylan Cease's biggest struggle he as— Dylan watching? He is always watching. He loves you. I mean, you guys have mustache. Well, he doesn't have it yet. Going to have to have a talking with him at the spring training. Stern talking. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, Mena challenged guys. He, he wasn't afraid of that opportunity. And Cease's biggest struggle still is walks and free passes. And if you can limit that when you're 19, then you don't really have to worry about, you know, if you can get your control down early, um, you know, I think that's going to be a huge platform for him to jump off. And he just turned 20. And Christian Mena, right? A big fan of Christian Mena. He, yeah, he's going to pitch in his age 20 season next year. And, you know, the, the scouting report on him, you'll just look at the We're talking about numbers. Look at his 2019 and look at what he did in single A. It's unbelievable as a 19-year-old. Um, and that is largely because he had a devastating breaking ball that fooled a lot of these young, you know, hitters who are in their first year of professional baseball playing at low and high A. And that had to change. And he was also somebody who threw 91-ish at the time. So you have a 91-mile-an-hour fastball as a starting pitcher. It's not going to do you any good once you get to the higher levels. However, he added weight this uh, already. Like, by the end of this year, we're, we're getting updates from Bill Mitchell of Baseball America. I want to credit him for this information. Added weight, added velocity to his fastball. So now he's sitting mid-90s with his fastball, and he's you know incorporating that more than uh, than he did during the season because he had all of his success by getting guys out with his breaking pitch, and then James Fegan, another shout out to Fegan, wrote a piece that um, you know he would in in full counts or in two strike counts and whatever he would always go to his breaking ball because that was his pitch. So as a twenty year old, probably starting in Double A Birmingham, this is a player that I think Sox fans should have on their radar. You're definitely monitoring what the you know pitching depth in the in the farm system looks like, and that's at the top of my list. Outside of Noah Schultz. Is pitching depth. Is uh, Christian, or, or Christian Mena. Mena. Christian gotcha. Mena outside of Noah Schultz. Um, well, I, I started asking the question about Colson. We'll get to Schultz in a little bit, and I know you wanted to talk about the pitching depth also. Um, but the, the title of the podcast is Colson Montgomery, Should He Be Untradeable? Um, Rick Hahn at the winter meeting said they're open to anything. When asked about top prospects, he said we're open to anything. Um, do you think that they should be with Colson and you know him being a first-round pick for this organization just last year? Boy, I think the White Sox love Colson Montgomery. Not that he's untouchable. I just think the White Sox value him too much to let him go because I think he's the future shortstop. I'm kind of unsure about Tim Anderson's status. I wonder how the next season is going to go for him. And I'm just sold on Montgomery's skill set. And I think the White Sox are feeling sort of the same way. Um, I think he's at least a year at least a year for us to begin the conversation of when are we going to see this player? Love the fact that he's a two-sport athlete. He's got great range. His feet um, keep him under control, and the scouts are saying that he can stick at shortstop. 
And if he doesn't, we'll play second. But then that leaves you the question, who's going to be your shortstop? But I think he's the shortstop of the future. And that's why the White Sox want to maintain Montgomery's value and then watch him develop under their watch. Not to, like He is their best player outside of probably Vaughn and Cease um, to, get, you know, to get some high value. I mean, prospects these days are the currency of Major League Baseball. I just think that he means too much to the organization at this point. I know they have depth with the names like Jose Rodriguez in their farm system, but I don't know how you feel, Vinny, but I think Colson Montgomery's got a future on the south side. Yeah, I, I think everything points to that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think you're right in saying that we don't know what's going to happen with Tim Anderson just because really good players tend to go to free agency and mm-hmm. get a lot of money, and, uh, you know, that's – not just their right, That's uh, they should be doing that, right? Uh, who knows if Tim Anderson is going to be the kind of guy that the White Sox want to in- invest what will surely be right. the largest contract they ever hand out uh, when his free agency comes along in a couple of years. Um, certainly they love him right now, and then he's, he's everything about that team right now. They should want to keep him uh, around for what he's done for them, both uh, on the stat sheet and off of it. Uh, but, yeah, Colson Montgomery is their number one prospect, I think, probably far and away, right? He's a top 100 prospect, I think ranked at 57 right now in Major League Baseball. You know, you talk about the depth. It's Their their farm system is better than it. the people who rank it last in baseball would would think or or would make you think, I should say. Uh, But it doesn't mean that it is flush with guys as good as Colson Montgomery. And if you get rid of Colson Montgomery, if you do that whole mortgaging the future thing to capitalize on 2023 right now, uh, then... 2025 and 2026 are going to roll around and you're going to be like, what in God's name are we going to do? So uh, I think that you're absolutely right. I think they want to make him a cornerstone like they have all these other guys. I mean, you know, you've got Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Yoan Moncada, all these guys who were the top of the uh, top of the pile prospects in in baseball when they were hitting double A and triple A. Uh, they envisioned building a team full of those guys and They've, they've done it at the major league level. It's yet to materialize into much more than, than one division championship so far. I think uh, when Rick Hahn talks about, listen, this is not a one-year or two-year or three-year thing. This is something we want to go forward and forward. you got to keep reloading with minor league guys, and Colson Montgomery is far and away their best chance to do that right now. Like, What position would be, and we'll get to the Super Chat in just a second, um, what position would be satisfying if they did trade away Montgomery? Like, would it be great if they traded him away and locked down that right field? Or, like, if they traded him for a second baseman, would that be disappointing unless it's, you know, Jake Cronenworth? Uh, well, oh, man. Uh, if it's Jake Cronenworth, I'd probably be sad. <laughs> well, not not to not Cronenworth. I think he would fill a, a massive need for the White Sox. I just think, um, you know, typically the White Sox tend to value their prospects higher than what the market does, and you can't sell low on him especially. But, like, if you're trading him, for a year and a half of control of somebody, maybe a pitcher, and I'm thinking like at the deadline here, um, something like that, it, it tells me that the White Sox are confident that they can win a World Series like within the next two years. I'm not saying that they can't, but if they make a move to uh, get, get away from Colson Montgomery and acquire whatever value they deem appropriate, it means they're going all in. And, I mean, what Vinny was talking about, I think the White Sox are really dedicating themselves to organizational development and it's a, it's a change from what we're used to. The rebuild really did begin at the trade deadline in 2016, but there was 
a lot of turnover since then in the front office. And we see Mike Shirley taking over as the director of amateur scouting. And we're putting a lot of, uh, at Future Sox, we, we put a lot of praise on Marco Patti's job. The, the value of Marco Patti in the international market is something that I think is propelling the White Sox to the next level. And again, like um, in, in the press conference, you know, Pedro Griffol wanted to talk about what was it, the, um, the, the new medical advancement that they have, the, the unique biomechanical um, stuff that they're doing within the organization. And Rick Hine was like, eh, not yet. Um, but those are the things that are happening. They didn't hire a biomechanical engineer and all these ana- analytical phases of the development. And I just, the way that they budget their money and they try to win in a way that Jerry Reinsdorf feels it's appropriate in his mind, I think a part of that is dedication to the organization and um, valuing the prospects that they have within. Because, you know, in the past, you're trading guys like Trace Thompson. That was probably outside of like, that was probably the best prospect that they gave up among all of the players that they traded outside of Tatis Jr. Now we're, we're starting to see Connor Pilkington. You know, we're going to get used to seeing him in Cleveland. You know, there's, there's value in the organization. And I think the White Sox want to see that develop and, and be the reason why they win the next World Series. All right, it'll be interesting. I got a little bit more questions about the uh, the health of the organization as well. Uh, got to take a break here. Uh, we got two super chats. Uh, first off, from Herman Rome. Uh, me and Dylan Cease have the same birthday, so Herman nice. Rome, happy birthday! Uh, thank you very much for the super chat. We appreciate that, and you know, we appreciate you always hanging out with us, Herman. Uh, and then Tony said, uh, "What would you trade for Jazz, or what would a trade for Jazz Chisholm look like?" Uh, we've I, I've been trying to avoid this topic just because Kim Ng said we're not trading Jazz Chisholm. It doesn't seem like they're going to be trading Jazz Chisholm, uh, but. I mean, would, would Colson Montgomery have to be a part of that package to get a guy like Jazz? Yes. Yes. All right. There you go. <laughs> would you do that? I don't think so. I, I don't think the White Sox should, but who knows? They, they could use a second baseman. We know that. But do they need one bad enough that they're going to trade their so-called uh, shortstop of the future? I'm not sure. Right. Would you? Jazz Chisholm would be an awesome case study. I would love to learn more about that player. Like I don't want to. I don't want to. I, I just need to know more about him. Phenomenal talent. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, how he is as a player, as a as a clubhouse guy. I just I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I know is that he's got like really bad splits. Um, he's very good at hitting righties, and he's very bad at hitting lefties. So the athleticism I, I, you know, though jumps right. off at you. So. And twenty four. Um, but hey, you got a younger guy in Colson Montgomery who's twenty four years younger. I mean, maybe he could be a, a, a you know. A better player than Jazz uh, down the line. Uh, we got another super chat from Baseball Toss. Uh, is Benny going to get an introductory press conference? Uh, we mentioned this with James yesterday. Uh, it seems uh, like they are just waiting until after the holidays to do the physical and then... Uh, yeah. Let the man uh, have his Christmas and New Year's celebration. Yeah. So um, nothing's wrong <laughs> because nothing's happened yet. Um, you don't have to worry that it's not going to... You know, it's going to fall through like the Correa thing uh, just because they haven't even seen the physical yet um so everything might be fine and you might see him you know in in 14 days or less or whatever 21 days or less uh, in a white Sox uniform so uh for all signs point to it will happen uh just it's not official yet um got to take a break and we got to let you know about our fantastic sponsor DraftKings again uh the pick of the week is going to be under 71 points i think it's actually up to 72 points now so uh, i would take under 72 points in Ole Miss and Texas Tech these Offenses, these quarterbacks aren't massively 
efficient. And I just thinking getting up to a number like 72 is very, very difficult. Uh, there's a lot of models that project this to be a 30-23 game for Ole Miss. If you add up those points, that's 52, which would be about 20 points under uh, the current line of 72. So that's why it's the DraftKings pick of the week. Down you know who the- Lance Lynn will be rooting for in that game? Ole Miss. Correct. Okay. He went there. I guess, I guess the right one. Yeah. But I could, I could picture him in black and red, too. I really wasn't sure if he was Texas Tech. Um, is there a... Don't ask me. I have no idea. There's no Texas Tech guys on, White's, on the White Sox? I'd have to look. Okay. All right. Well, hey, uh, gave it a shot, Mike. Uh, you might have known. Uh, but anyways, make sure you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download that app and use promo code CHGO when you sign up. And make sure you're hammering the under of 72 uh, in the Ole Miss and Texas Tech game. We also got to let you know about Chi-Town Cornhole. Chi-Town Custom Cornhole, the number one cornhole provider for Chicagoland in Illinois since 2007. Our signature box style can be digitally printed, covered in vinyl, and painted. And our cornhole boards come in with built-in drink holders recessed in on the back, LED lights that light up the hole, and exterior handles for easier carrying and handcrafted scorekeepers. They are veteran-owned and operated, and they can ship anywhere and offer local pickups. And they specialize in corporate designs for your corporate marketing or social events. They also are fantastic wedding gifts and gifts for all occasions, especially for tailgaters and backyard barbecuers. So go to their website, chitowncornhole.com, and make sure to follow them on Instagram, at Chi-Town Custom Cornhole Boards. Thank you very much, Chi-Town Cornhole Boards, for sponsoring this show. All right, Mike, uh, we got a couple more questions, and uh, you talked about the idea of the White Sox trying to develop more as a, as a system-wide um, idea. Uh, I don't know if that's Mike Shirley specific, but the White Sox have been near the bottom of the rankings for uh, farm system prospects uh for the past couple of years, um, it seems like it's creeping up towards like 26 rather than 30. Um, is the health good of the prospect, the farm system right now? Is it improving? I mean, what's the current health of, of the farm system? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that the White Sox don't have a lot of major league ready talent. A lot of their value comes in those who are, you know, in double A, single A, first full professional seasons. And I think that matters. However, the White Sox have taken an approach in the draft that I like. They got no Schultz. The first time that I've ever seen the White Sox pick a prep pitcher in the first round at 26. And the year before that, uh, they went Colson Montgomery. And then the year before that was Garrett Crochet. And I don't want to talk too much about that process, but I, I just would have loved to see Garrett Crochet develop as a starter. And I think the only opportunity for him to do that was – last offseason so the end of 2021 and into 2022 now who knows how his career is going to pan out it's just unfortunate because Mike Mike Shirley did draft him with the intentions of him being a starter but we know he's super valuable as a reliever they're trying to win the World Series I get it but last draft Sean and Vinny they they dedicated a lot of their resources to pitching um, and and that's something that I'm encouraged by because you know over the last couple of drafts some of their Pitching depth hasn't necessarily materialized as uh, the White Sox had envisioned them developing at a, at a at a pace like they were they were struggling in in several areas with strike throwing. Uh, Andrew Dalk was to be specific in that regard. Jared Kelly, another example of someone who struggled. But the health of the organization, I think, is at its best since they, you know, graduated the Michael Kopex and the Luis Roberts of the uh, world in their organization. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm honestly excited about the development this year because if you look at the top 10, according to Baseball America, a lot of these players 
on the older side should be taking a leap to, the, to like Norhe Vera is, is an example of somebody who needs to throw more innings but is close to the bigs already because of his skill set. He just needs to build a rapport. Um, and, and others that we can get into, and Jose Rodriguez and Brian Ramos, those are two examples of players already on the 40-man. They need more development, but it, it's just we're close, the White Sox are. They're close to getting their major league talent, um, but they just need another year of development. So it's good to see, like, finally, you know, there, there's a plan in place. And you can never have enough pitching, and you can never have enough shortstops. And the White Sox have a plethora of that at this point. So, like, what was the biggest issue with the organi- the like the farm system last year, like I feel like Charlotte was just lacking starting oh, pitchers. Like, is that still an issue? Is that a large issue for this 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 organization, or do you think they've done enough in the drafts to kind of build out that pitching staff? Well, Charlotte's still going to be a question mark. I think they're going to have like s- some fillers, like non serious options, to fill out that rotation because that's what they did, and it was just the worst pitching staff imaginable. But we're going to see Jason Billis and Sean Burke. Those two are probably next in line outside of Davis Martin to make an impact at the big league level. Davis Martin, Texas Tech. Texas Tech, Tech. Yeah. there you go. And oh, nice. Caleb Freeman as well yeah. from Alex Rude. Davis Martin versus Lance Lynn. There it is. I would take Lance Lynn in a fight. What about like in checkers or something? I would take Lance Lynn. He seems savvy. <laughs> he's got kids. Kids are good at checkers. Yeah, I, think so, if yeah. you, I, think, I think the fact that he can throw five pitches, you know, he's, he's thinking sure. how to beat somebody already. I think he's got, he's got that mindset. Anyways, what were you saying? What? What? <laughs> no. Uh, well, yeah. So just triple we say that to Sean all the time. Yeah, triple A pitching, Jason yeah. Billis, uh, Davis Martin, uh, and then uh, Sean Burke. Sean, Sean Burke, Burke yeah. is a guy who completed his first full professional season last year. High draft pick out of Maryland in 21. Somebody with, you know, a developed repertoire and somebody who, with his college experience, figures to kind of progress quickly in the system. And I think he will, and I think he'll make the 40-man roster at some point if they need depth uh, because you know they got their five plus Davis Martin and I'm not really sure what else is happening there with the rotation yeah I mean like again if the if the season starts tomorrow kind of thing yeah there's they're set one through five and and Davis Martin's there to probably do what he did last year uh but who do you call on if you need number seven and I think right now it's Jimmy Lambert, right? I mean, like, and, yes. you know, and maybe it's only for a few innings at a right. time, but, I mean, that's what it's got to be right now because that's who you have. I'm sure I would be willing to say that this is going to happen. They'll sign at least one or two more guys to Johnny Cueto-type deals before spring training is over, absolutely. Um, it's a question of threading the needle and finding the guy who's willing to go to Charlotte or willing to pitch out of the bullpen a little bit until they're needed if they're needed. Right, and it seems like the hot stove is dying down. It seems like most of the bigger deals are getting done, which will probably lead way to some of those smaller and, and minor league deals uh, getting signed. Um, I do want to – you brought up Garrett Crochet. Um, like, if they sent him down to start in double-A, is it too late? Like, can, can he start with rehabbing from Tommy John and try to build up as a starter, or do you see him – Man. Starting in, in in the bullpen in 2023 and starting with the 26 man roster um, in 2023. I just think the White Sox missed their window because you have to sacrifice this season if of Garrett Crochet if you want to commit to him becoming a starter. He's got to build the innings load and he's got to make sure that his body can handle it um, coming off a major surgery. So to answer your question, I think the White Sox are trying to compete. Garrett Crochet throws 99 when he's healthy. I think he's going to be in the White Sox bullpen, and that's that. Unless they move him, 
then another organization can take on that project because I think he he, he would translate pretty well as a starter. I think you know he would take some stuff off his fastball and incorporate his three-pitch mix well. It's just I don't see it happening with the White Sox at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to him at the, toward the end of the season, and it, he, he, he thinks it can happen. He yeah. wants to be a starter, yeah. uh, unsurprisingly. Hey, Jimmy Lambert wants to still be a starter for, for what it's worth. Uh, but I think, I think you're dead on in that it's just he's too valuable as a bullpen arm. And listen, they've got a lot of bullpen depth. They could they – could Well, they have two ha- lefties in Bummer and Deakman. Like, they, have, they have the ability, if they wanted to, to say to, – to sacrifice Garrett Crochet being part of that bullpen. But – the White Sox bullpen with Garrett Crochet is better than the White Sox bullpen without Garrett Crochet. And if you're trying to win the World Series, go ahead and make your bullpen as good as it can possibly be. Um, I think what hurt him, too, in this case, imagine had he had his last year at Tennessee been that full year. Yep. I mean, you're talking about not only getting a guy the, the innings load that he needs to have for the first time as a professional. You're talking about getting a guy the innings load he needs to have for the first time in a long time because his 2020 season was wiped out and there really wasn't, it's not like he, you know, logged a serious amount of innings uh, in 2019 either pitching for, for, for Tennessee. So um, I don't really see uh, the way in which he can go from basically zero to 60 on that workload thing that quickly, and uh, if they think he can be a p- big part of their bullpen this year, I think that's probably the way they look. Yeah, I, I'd be. It's definitely gonna be a fascinating storyline to follow because I mean I think you know if he starts in the minor leagues, kind of signals what's gonna happen. Um, but I, unless I, it's rehab, yeah, and I would say that it should not surprise anybody if he's like not on the opening day roster because. He still needs to, you know, do that thing where he stays in Arizona for a couple of weeks just to make sure he's 100% healthy. I mean, it's a guy coming off Tommy John. It's not, it's not like he can uh, – it's not like he was pitching at the end of last year or anything right. like that. So um, that certainly is something that can happen. I don't think anybody should be surprised if that's the outcome. But we heard – I, I talked to talk to both Garrett and, and Rick Hahn about this at the end of last season, and, you know, it seems like the White Sox uh, think that if he's a reliever, the chances are better – that he could start earlier in the season versus if he's a starter, you, you're probably looking at further down the line. All right. Very interesting to see, though, what will happen with Garrett Crochet. Um, I got one more pitcher question, and then we'll get to these super chats from Baseball Toss and Stefan Bardo. Um, Kopech in 2022, um, what'd you make of starter Kopech? Was it successful, and what roadblocks do you see in 2023? I thought it was, I thought it was exactly how the White Sox kind of envisioned that season would go for Kopech. You're talking about a guy who's been away from the game for two seasons, and I thought he pitched admirably in a lot of his starts. He competed, didn't have the innings base that I think uh, many Sox fans would like to see, but given the context of his situation, it's so unique that I think you should be satisfied. I don't want to tell you how to feel, but I think just given where it is in, in Kopech's career, I think that was a great first step in what we can expect into this season. And it's unfortunate that he had the knee injury because it matters so much in his delivery. And I wonder how much the pitch clock is going to impact, you know, his value and the way that he works. He wants max effort, you know, on a, almost every pitch. So curious how that's going to affect the game in general. But I'm, I'm, I was, I was very encouraged to see Michael Kopech pitch as late into the season that he did. Yeah, I mean, I think the the. The biggest silver lining that anybody can take of him reaching the number of innings that he reached was he didn't run out of gas. You know, it's not ever, the entire year going all the before spring training. We were talking about, well, how long is he going to pitch? How many innings? How are they going to manage him so he doesn't overwork himself? He didn't overwork himself. 
he ran into a health situation that was that was unrelated to fatigue, and uh, so I, you know, your nobody's worst fears came true in terms of oh man, they they burned him out trying to get to a playoff uh, position that they ultimately didn't make. Um, certainly, though, we can't stop talking about Michael Kopech's health, and and that's going to be the case moving into spring training uh, in twenty twenty three because while. Thankfully for him, it's not a, an arm thing that's going to take many, many months to recover from. It's it's just, uh, you know, more of your regular baseball kind of injury. Um, it is still something that we have questions about Michael Kopech and what he can be at the big league level because he has not been consistency, consistently healthy. You don't have too many questions about his burst cyst, though. Or the, his, what's, so, his let's put it this way. I don't have too many questions that I want to hear the answers to because that is a that's an injury that is gross. It's a gross injury. Very gross. Uh, <laughs> let's go to the Super Chats here. Uh, first off, baseball toss. Uh, the Giants DFA'd Tommy Lestella. Should the White Sox be interested? No. Oh, what a night. No. Oh, what a night. Don't do it. He's a lefty. Did Bad. you hear that? Bad. Mm. He's probably hurt. There was one up, yeah. though, there with, that said minor league deal? No. Why not? Yeah, why not? Minor league, league deal. deal. Okay, non-roster yeah. invite, fine. Yeah. I mean, fine. Uh, Tim Beckham was a minor league deal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a great pull right there. I love Tim Beckham. Uh, and then we got one from Stefan Bardo. Uh, any word on Cespedes as a fourth outfielder? He's a part of their plan, but you want to see more production. A lot of swing and miss in his game. Pretty decent outfielder. Decent. Seems toolsy, but very raw. He's still got – I want to see the consistency at the plate. The strikeout-to-walk ratio is uh, jarring. Um, a lot of swing and miss stuff, but he's got great pop, so – He's athletic, but I just don't see – like his ceiling might just be a bench outfielder. Yeah, I, I don't see a, t- a ton from him. I mean, you know, maybe he can be a pinch runner with the, the new rules. I'd love to see him um, in person at spring training. I would yeah. love to see him on the field. It just – it's his body isn't – he's not yolky big. He's, he's short. not 6'3". Yeah. yeah, he's short. 5'9 and like 160. I mean, we, we, talked to him. we talked to him at spring training last year, and, after, you know, he had that stretch where he hit like – three Cactus League homers in a mm-hmm. row or something like that. He's, he's, he's a short guy. He's a short guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, we got some quick ones for you. Uh, Brian Ramos or Jose Rodriguez? Um, who would you rather have long-term? I think I would lean more Rodriguez, but it seems like Ramos is more favored. Brian Ramos has um, – he's added weight. He's 6'3". So I was concerned a little bit about his frame because his value in his, is in his bat, and he's also improved defensively. He's probably on the brink of becoming a top 100 prospect. And Jose Rodriguez, meanwhile, plays the middle infield, lankier, and has a lot of swing in his game. Not necessarily swing and miss, but he's very aggressive, um, which is encouraging. But he, he's capable of stealing like 30 bags a year. So there's a lot to be excited about. And I guess it's up to you how you want to value those two players. But Jose Rodriguez as a middle infielder who makes contact, um, decent pop. I mean, he showed a lot of pop across a stretch, um, but I'd like to see the consistency uh, be maintained there. Brian Ramos, I think, has overall better upside, um, a lot of power. And like I said, if he can stick at third and maybe play a decent second base, that's a big leaguer. Well, and young too, still, like 20, right? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, just Colson, Jose, and, and Brian, all 20. Um, and then uh, Lenin, Romy, or Yolbert, if one had to start in 2023, at second base, who would you pick? Romy. I think Romy's more developed and ready. He's got the big league body. Um, Lenin would do well in Charlotte, and if they need him, call him up. I, I don't foresee the White Sox addressing second base uh, with wh- whomever's available. Um, so I think they're going to 
dedicate themselves to their internal options. Worst case scenario, Lujeri's there. But I think Romy's the guy. Lenin's the backup plan, and then they go from there. And then is Noah Schultz only top three because he was a first-round pick? Like, I mean, 19, and he's already top three according to MLB Prospect? Man, uh, Noah Schultz is like... Randy Johnson is the comp, and everybody goes to Randy Johnson there, but it, the comp because of the body type. It's not necessarily the stuff or what we can expect out of him, although the fastball gets up on you. And he, Mike Shirley has, and Ethan Katz too. I think Ethan Katz ha- likes a type, mm-hmm. but Mike Shirley identifies specific pitches that jump off the page at you, those that have great spin rate. Um, Jared Kelly is an example of a slider. Um, and also a plus fastball when they drafted him out of high school. Tanner McDougal, who just got through Tommy John, he'll pitch again this year. Unbelievable breaking stuff. Uh, over 3,000 RPMs, I think, on that pitch that um, you know convinced the White Sox that I mean, they signed him out of high school, and he signed to play at the organization. That doesn't always happen. Um, but there's there's a type here, and Noah Schultz fits. Paulette's curveball. Peyton Paulette is a guy that should have went in the first round had he pitched, but he you know missed the season due to Tommy John. Um, Jonathan Cannon has a four-pitch repertoire. That's somebody who can fly through the system, who's a starter, which is exciting. Uh, Norhe Vera, somebody that we mentioned earlier, not to rattle off all these names, but the upside at this point, unfortunately, might be a back end of the uh, bullpen guy, but they liked him because of the explosive pitches um, that he showcased in the Dominican. And back to your Noah Schultz stuff, a question. Chris Getz mentioned that when Schultz pitched on, um, I think it was the rookie field in Arizona. He faced the Dodgers, and the Dodgers dugout was excited whenever a player made contact to Noah Schultz's offering. So he's got unbelievable separation in his in his stride, and the ball gets on you so quickly, and it's like I can't wait to see him pitch. I want to see him pitch in person because what I hear is you know through the roof, and all this optimism reigns, but. White Sox may have got something there in Noah yeah. Schultz, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, they might have hit two massive gems in, in Colson Montgomery and uh, and Noah Schultz back-to-back. That's Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Ravi's right. we got 127 people watching and only 28 uh, thumbs up, so make sure you are liking the video. And thank you to Mike Rankin for joining us uh, on this episode. Again, make sure you check out the Future Sox podcast. Um, you check out, is it still futuresox.com or is it just yeah, all on SoxMachine.com? Type in futuresox.com. It'll take you to Sox Machine. There you go. Uh, and then also uh, make sure you're listening uh, Monday through Friday, now it's what? 10 to 2. 10 to 2. I was going to say 9 to 2. It's nice. Only 10 to 2. I mean, you got a, you know, it's a little less. Uh, you can check out the Bernstein and Home Show where uh, Mike and Ray Diaz produce. Uh, but thank you, Mike, for joining us. Thank you to Sarah for producing the show. And thank you, everyone, for hanging out with us in the chat. Uh, Alex, Ravi, JJ, we appreciate it. And we will talk to you tomorrow with our year in review show with our Chuck, Chuck Garfine, going to be joining us at 4 p.m. So make sure you stay tuned and go White Sox.